Hey, welcome to the 180th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Jared Scott and Sophie Niesenbaum. Thanks, guys. Two hats headed your way. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Oren Kaplan, and today we have Ben Giroux on. He is an actor slash director and... Slash voiceover artist. Yeah, which I count in the acting category. Well, you know, it's, it's uh, you know... But he is like just super... to be specific. Yeah, super legit in both uh, accounts. I mean, he's been on like hundreds of episodes of TV. He was a regular on uh, Henry Danger on Nickelodeon. On He was a regular on Heart of Dixie. He's been on like so many different shows. Uh, he's really funny, really talented as an actor, but also as a director. He directs commercials. He has a pilot that he's actually directing tomorrow for a big network. He is, he's just all over the place. He's made a bunch of viral video hits. And we talk about all of it and what he learned about directing from being an actor and what he learned about acting from being a director. And it's a, it's a really cool, unique view. I think he's our first actor slash director of the series on actors. Yeah, yeah. We had such a good time doing our development month that we thought, oh, let's do one about actors because we uh, love actors and we don't get to talk to them enough and um we realized oh we know enough people that, that we could put together a really cool run of shows so if you haven't listened to our last episode with audrey from audrey helps actors and then now with ben i think we're kind of putting together a pretty cool little program i'm pretty excited about so we'll have a couple more episodes focusing on actors that are entrepreneurial we'll say they're not no always necessarily exclusively directors but you know, they're writers, they're producers. It's kind of a, a mixed bag of different experiences of people who started off doing one thing in Hollywood and decided to expand that repertoire a little bit. And I think Ben is a perfect example of this sort of DIY can do it sort of situation. I make the joke, but I mean it's true. Uh, Ben's got enough hustle for three different careers and he really is making them all happen. He's really got a ton of insight and he's really introspective about. Uh, what makes him happy about being an actor versus being a director and how he likes to prioritize his creative attention. So it's a really great conversation. I've known Ben for a long time and had never seen him do all of his great voices. It's a real treat. It was, it was like someone did a magic trick right in front of me. <laughs> yeah, he's really funny. Uh, but for those of you that can't stand actors, we thought we would answer a listener question before we get into the interview. Yeah. So we've got our longtime pal, Kevin O'Brien, writing in. Not writing in. Voicemailing in. Voicemailing in. So let's listen to his voicemail. Here goes. Hey, Matt Norton. This is Kevin O'Brien. My Twitter handle is I'm Kevin OB. And I've got a question about interactions with production companies. I've recently put together a director's reel. Uh, I'm sending out to some production companies. I live in Central Florida, so I'm sending it to Tampa and Orlando, some in Atlanta. And I'm getting positive feedback, getting a few meetings and some phone calls uh, with producers and some reps. And a few of the responses I've been getting, I'm just curious on how the best way to respond to them. Some of it has been, your stuff looks really great. It's clear you have a lot of experience. But either the performances of the actors don't match the scale to the story you're telling. That's on either a spec, you know, a spec spot that I've done or a just another local commercial that I've done. Or been hearing a few times that the I have a lot of experience on set, but with smaller crews, and they're not sure about 
the experience, that I don't have the experience on larger crews for larger budgets. So I'm just curious how you guys would handle that sort of feedback. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out the best way to respond to those. So just give your thoughts on that. What do you think is the best way to respond to some of that feedback? Thanks. Love what you're doing. So thanks for the question, Kevin. Yeah. I know, boy, I love a voicemail. Before we jump into our answer, if you want to drop us a voicemail, 2626-SHOOT1. It's so much nicer to hear like our listeners' voices asking the question, thinking out loud. It's great. I was listening to script notes today and they had a voicemail question and Craig Mazin said the exact same thing. He was like, it's so nice to hear people's voices. It is awesome. <laughs> so Kevin, so we know Kevin because he's been a supporter of the podcast. We, we've actually seen his reel. He's a very talented filmmaker. So we appreciate this question. And I also feel like I can talk specifically about his issues because I'm kind of familiar with the work that he's done. Just to re-summarize, Kevin made this new awesome reel. He sent it out to a bunch of production companies. It has spec spots that he did, local spots he did, probably some short films he did. And the feedback he's been getting from the production companies that he cares about are one, they're not crazy about his performances and some of his work. And two, they feel like his experiences on smaller shoots with smaller crews and they are not sure how well he would do with bigger crews. And, and I want to say before Oren jumps in on his answer, every director, when they're starting out, hears a version of that. You know, like I, I remember like after having won a handful of awards and like had some real heat and had been working at a major TV station for like a long time, TV network for a long time. Oh, he hasn't logged enough time behind the camera was like the first thing. I think so, oftentimes companies are like just looking to they can't figure out exactly why they don't want to hire you yet. So they just kind of like searching for reasons and like putting a finger, putting a point on that basically. Yeah. When I first moved to LA, my mom knew this guy through her work that ran the commercial production part of a band apart, which was like Quentin Tarantino's production company. Sure. Yep. So I went there and I had all my YouTube videos and like a couple kind of virally type things, but I showed him my videos. He's like, yeah, real funny stuff. I mean, that you shot in your apartment with a video camera and like your roommate, you know? He's like, here's a reel of the people you'd be up against. And he showed me just like randomly. He's like, here's three reels people send us. We're not going to sign these directors. Check out their work. And it was like super slick things. He's like, if you want to be competitive with these, your stuff needs to look this slick. And that, that's all he said. And I was like, I get it. I'll be back in 10 years. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, it sounds... Like the crew size thing is like a BS thing, right? Like they're just judging you based on your work. They don't know what crews you've worked sure. with, how big or how small. And then the the note about the performance is interesting. I've actually, I've directed many a bad performance in my life, but I don't know how many times I've gotten that note. Actually, I, I did one movie where... I got that note about a specific performance. But I think it's super valuable that they actually gave you that note because maybe it's, you know, it, it's something real specific that you can work on now. You can be mm -hmm. like, hey, some of these performances aren't ringing true. So number one, the easiest thing is to take them off your reel, right? Or, or not show them to commercial production companies because maybe, you know, if something skews a little too sentimental, you want to reground it and make it more mm -hmm. real if something is too broad you want to try to make it smaller maybe 
they're reacting to the music you're using or the editing and they're saying the performance isn't matching up to that. So it's a it's a valuable note to get, I think. It just means you need to work on, you know, on natural performances and not in terms of like you as a director, but in terms of you putting together your reel, you know? Yeah. And and I, I think when you say, well, I only had, you know, a small budget in order to cast actors, Unfortunately, that doesn't really matter to anyone. Like, yeah. you know, you could cast non-actors that do amazing work. Like you watch the Florida Project or you watch, you know, these movies with non-actors. Yeah. Um, like no one, no client ever wants to be like, oh, well, it's okay that our commercial sucks. We only gave them $12,000. Right. Like that's that's all the money they have. Like the reason that they're giving you so small amount of money is because like, it counts more for them in a weird way. And I, I think actually, to be fair, I think Kevin knew better than to say that. And like, that's why he's writing in. It's like, how do I deal with wanting to say like, you know, I did the best I could. Right. One person's notes don't really matter, right? Like if you don't agree with them, if, if they don't ring true to you, then you can, I think you can totally ignore them. Yeah. If you hear that note and you're like, and your response isn't, actually, I think the performance is really good, but your response instead is, well, this is the best I can do or with like, this actor. Or uh, I, I hoped you didn't notice. Right. Then it means yeah. you agree with them and you got to do what we all, what like a lot of people have to do, go to plays and go to college theater programs sure. and go find people in your life that aren't actors, but that you think would be really dynamic or interesting or just natural around a camera. Yeah. And, you know, maybe work on that. With with that being said, I think Warren, your your rubric of like, oh, if you agree with them, cut it, and if it if you disagree, keep it. I think that's really smart because I think that the thing I would hate I would hate to watch him unravel things based off of a handful of opinions from a bunch of different yahoos, you know. So like, take everything with a grain of salt, whether it's notes from people like us or your family or your friends or other professionals. Like all of that stuff is. You really, you have to be your own compass on that stuff as well. But be honest with yourself. Interrogate those thoughts. Think about why you really like something. Is it that you really like working with that actor? Is it that that shot was really hard to get? Or is it actually really good? Right. Uh, but what I find that, I, that helps me, like if I am asking my wife or something, I'll say like, hey, here's like three commercials I did. Which one do you think I should show? Which is the best one? Because I think it's easier to get an honest answer to that then like do you think they're all good you know yeah so yeah but again we've seen your real i mean your camera work is incredible i think a lot you know the lighting the color the visuals the motion but yeah i think that feedback is is valuable and i would just keep doing it i mean i made a reel i got some positive feedback i got some jobs out of it and now it's time for me to make another reel even though matt keeps telling me not to waste my time making another reel that's true i would say the other thing kevin uh and this is a little bit of tough love buddy but i think that the notes that you're gonna hear of like well we don't know can he handle a big crew or these performances are aren't good some of that is a really actually the note within the note is volume right because no one has ever asked me what was the budget on this spot they can just tell right but so they're really just valuing like the quality of the work but the more spots you have and the bigger the brands are the more recognizable the brands are and the more famous the actors are 
the less people tend to question uh, your professionalism. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but we've seen his real. I mean, his. I don't see none of it. Seems like low budget to me. None of it does. But maybe yes. Maybe a, a, you're saying a spot for for Southwest Airlines would be more legitimate, even if it's just one person in one room in one shot talking to camera, than a commercial for the local convenience store or whatever. Yeah. What I'm really getting at is that there is maybe a little bit of small market bias is what mm. i'm i'm kind of hearing per- perhaps yeah um and that look I mean, we talk about this all the time like orin and i both travel for jobs all the time and it's not like that like those different markets don't have awesome directors but i think that there is just a a sense of la directors or new york directors or london directors having been playing in the big leagues and so kevin i don't think that you're you know in a position in your life where you get to move to a different marketplace so it's you know i think you're going to make it work and like you've got a lot of hustle i'm not worried about it but i think that you do have to kind of climb that other mountain of like showing people that you really have what it takes but i think that some of what i'm hearing if i read between the lines is really just that you know, the people are saying like, oh, you make these small spots small. and we want to make big spots. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. The other litmus test, which is like a very poorly defined one. But if you put a 30 second commercial on your reel, it should be something that someone sees that they can say like, oh, I could see that on TV. Mm-hmm. Or, or they just, frankly, the best case scenario, they assume it has been on TV. Right. If it's like 35 seconds or if it's like something questionable about it, any giveaway that it's not. A real commercial, even if it's a spec spot, is something that like might instantly turn someone off. Yeah, I mean, I think that pe- people are used to seeing uh, run times that have a little bit of fudge here and there, like you know, it's thirty-one seconds or something like that, because they're assuming it's the director's cut, right? Um, but you have to have volume, and those have to be for big, big brands. Then I think you can get away with that stuff. Yeah, and obviously, I'm sure you do this, but obviously just put on like the legal text and the the logos and all that stuff that you would see in a real commercial. Also, in the title of the video, like if it's a Vimeo link, it'll say, you know, Whisk is 30 second spot. Yeah. So even if it's 31 and a half seconds. Yeah, that's what I do. Every yeah. spot on my on my website is like 32 seconds and I call them all 30s. Well, cool. Well, I hope, we were helpful and we'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on our thoughts since we emailed with you. Yeah. And thanks for letting us, um, letting us talk about, I think the real answer is just do more spots and, and mix up a handful of specs with a handful of, um, you know, more local, smaller marketplaces. I think that's the move. Yeah. Keep getting feedback. If you're sending this out to a bunch of production companies and are actually in touch with them and they're saying no, then say like, hey, which spot do you think I should cut for my reel? Just go for it if you're already like not going to work with them. I mean, to be honest, the other challenge that Kevin's up against is that because he's in a smaller market, there are fewer people to talk to. So just cultivate those relationships and say, you know, okay, well, look, I'm here to like learn and get better. And like now I'm a bargain, maybe, you know, don't undersell yourself, but like turn it into an opportunity, I think.
Awesome. Thanks, Kevin. Before we get into our conversation with Ben Drew, we'd love to remind you that we have a Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. It's a place where you can donate a few dollars to the podcast if you like it, if you find it helpful, if you tune into it every Thursday as you're driving to your big studio executive job. Sure. And you're wearing your Just Shoot It hat and uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, you've got a Just Shoot It sticker on your bumper. If you pledge $10 a month, then uh, you get a free hat, even if you only do it for one month. And we just got a new shipment of hats in that we are going to be mailing out to our latest. Yeah, I entrance. overdid it, you guys. I got too many hats. No, um, no you didn't. We are going to get, we're going to move those hats. We are going to move those hats. Also, um, a little bit of housekeeping, actually, that relates to the Patreon. Um, so Jay McAuliffe, our, um, our longtime editor, uh, has moved on. She's gone on to NPR. She's doing cool stuff, living the dream. I hope that we uh, helped pad that resume out a little bit more. But so we've got some new editors, some fresh blood in the mix. So your Patreon dollars help pay them now. Now, now we used to be underpaying Jay. Now we're underpaying uh, Jonathan and Sarah. So uh, welcome to the family, guys. And uh, thanks so much for your hard work. And if you want to welcome them with open arms, fellow listeners, uh, consider throwing us a couple bucks. Yeah. And also, while you're at it, why don't you rate us on iTunes? Cool. Well, without further ado, here's Ben Adu. Hey, we're here with Ben Giroux. How's it going? Good. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, man. This is uh, part two of our actor and slash or actor slash director series welcome to the show ben. thank you so much wait what do you mean by part two like the second episode the second episode of yeah. like however many parts it ends up being yeah that's why i left it open-ended like that math is hard yeah maybe we should just call it another edition <laughs> <laughs> well we know it's the second on a very special Ooh, there we go so ben what talk about a setup for a segue so you are uh an actor and director and also like a pretty accomplished voiceover artist. Yeah, you know, voiceover. Yeah, voice actor, I guess I should say. Yeah, right? sure, voiceover actor. I'm pretty sure that's the term. Yeah, uh, a vacuum. Uh, no, yeah, vo- voiceover for me is the one thing in the indus- industry that uh, doesn't have any anxiety attached to it. Oh, You cool. got the lines right in front of you. You can dress however you want. Mm-hmm. I feel like everything else, whether you're on or off camera, has anxiety attached to it. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm a director, I'm trying to appease a client and an agency and make my day and make good creative decisions. If I'm an actor, I'm trying to desperately remember my lines and I'm trying to impress people and I'm trying to uh, remember my blocking. If I'm a voice actor, I'm, I got everything right there. Yeah, just it's easy. Don't fart. Yeah, don't good. fart. Yeah. yeah. But Although yeah. that I think is applicable to anything sure. <laughs> in <laughs> entertainment. Well, <laughs> just saying it's not totally anxiety-free. But. Exactly. Um, have uh, you guys seen Cake Farts? No. No. You know that video? Viral video from back in the day? It sounds no. like something I would have made. I, I feel like. Uh, <laughs> it's like uh, it was. It came on the heels of Two Girls, One Cup. It's one, gotcha. but, one uh, of those. Gotcha. But it is one of those videos that the farts are what made them <laughs> famous. There's also like the farting reverend. Have you seen that one? Mm-hmm. Farting priest? I have I have a list of things to Google after this. Yeah. Yeah, um, the, well, they'll be in the show notes. <laughs> my point is that farts are very important for the, the yeah, entertainment business. Absolutely. But wait, if you are going to do like VO on a Steven Spielberg animated film versus like a local supermarket commercial, do you, you dress the same to both of those things? No. And you know what's interesting? I had uh, 
a Nickelodeon animated series that I was a lead of uh, for a couple of years called Bunsen is a Beast. It was uh, from the Fairly Odd Parents uh, showrunner. Mm. Uh, Were you Bunsen? I was uh, his friend, Mikey. And so Mm. it was like a buddy comedy, essentially, between a monster and a little kid. How old was your character? Oh, God. How old was Mikey? Probably like 10. Wait, wait. Ben, is Mikey here right now? Mikey Monroe? Well, I mean, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> this went in a very weird direction. Dude, that's pretty good, though. That's oh, is that really the voice? Yeah. You know, I talked like this for two years. Um, oh. But what was... I had no idea. What was great about it... You're also Robin in a new... Yeah. I, I, yeah. That's a whole other thing. Wait, my parents... Batman and Robin? Yeah. My parents own a comic book store, so this was like a, a great... Sure. I've been to, to that book. comic book store. You're, that's right. You have. Yeah. You stopped in. What's yeah. it called? It's called All About Books and Comics in Phoenix, Arizona. And so I grew up around comics, and so it was very kind of on brand for me to book the voice of Robin in a in a new Batman uh, animated film from Warner Brothers called Batman vs. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Ooh. Uh, and funny Are those enough... owned by the same people? Uh, it's a crossover between Warner Brothers Animation and Nickelodeon, which runs uh, which owns, the Ninja Turtles, uh, right. which is how I sort of got Their into it because I do a new lot of Nickelodeon line, stuff. I think, right? Isn't it New Line or Dimension? It's one of those uh, kind of... It doesn't matter. Like that. Yeah, yeah. I thought Michael Bay kind of ran the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> sure, there, oh, yeah. wait. But that's a Paramount movie. It's all Viacom. It's all Viacom. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Wait, yeah. and what does Robin sound like? So I play the Damian Wayne version of Robin, mm-hmm. which is Batman's 10-year-old son. And so it's like a little bit here, um, you know, so I'm kind of like here, but it's a little lower than Mikey, you know, so it's ben, a little, that is incredible. It's I've a known you for gr- a long time and I've never <laughs> seen you do that. That is like a great party trick, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. So it's funny because voiceover has been a large part of my career um, mm-hmm. and has actually sort of like looping it around what you guys talk about taught me a lot about the ad world. Because mm-hmm. I do a lot of commercial voiceover. Oh, sure. Uh, you know, I did Honda stuff for a while. I was like the voice of the little bubble and scrubbing bubbles for a long time. Are you the voice of Fred Savage on those Honda commercials? <laughs> no. <laughs> but I did all their like claymation holiday spots oh, for yeah. a number of years. I've uh, used as, those. Uh... It's my job to be helpful on IIHS top safety pick. Uh, so I did that for a long time. <laughs> and But it was interesting because this whole, you know, 10, 12, 13 years of, of commercial voiceover, not necessarily the animation stuff, but sure. commercial voiceover is, it taught me all about, you know, from the actor's side, what it means, what an ad agency is uh-huh. and uh, what a picky client is. Sure, sure. You um, see those people like whispering to each other exactly. and you, you put, you connect the dots basically. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so it was an so interesting, interesting first um, little taste of what the ad world I would say looks like even long before I even got into directing. But mm-hmm. do you feel like that's different than commercial acting? Like when you're on set acting in a commercial? A hundred percent. Yeah. The voiceover world, I think, is a little more chill. Although, you know, I've done some larger brands. Like I did a Jack in the Box campaign last year as a voice actor. Uh, and those sessions are a little more, mm-hmm. um, they feel a little bit more like what a, uh, a larger on-camera commercial mm-hmm. uh, experience would be. There's or more at least, people in the booth. Yeah, there's more people there. Yeah, how so? Tell there's, us more. There's, um, it's honestly how people talk about the client. Oh, uh, If it's like a chill... Uh, you know, fast food place in North Carolina. It's a pretty chill session. Nobody, you know, people care, but they don't like care, care. Uh, if it's a Jack in the Box session, like you better believe there's a lot of people that that are going to be listening to it, mm-hmm. and you're at the session longer because they're constantly 
you know, they record you and then they send it back to the client or the agency to sort of mm-hmm. take a listen to and oh, then while you're in the booth. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a little more gravity, I would say, to the job and a little more importance when it's a larger brand. But I think that's no different than if you're directing a spec commercial for the, a Doritos thing. Sure. Or if you're, you know, directing a $3 million car commercial. Um, I think those those projects have have a difference in in gravity, not not a difference in the amount that people bring to it mm-hmm, in terms sure. of their interest. It's not in more or less important, yeah, or whatever. Exactly. But there's more, you know, uh, cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, we'll say I think so. Yeah, I, I did these spots a couple of months ago where it was these two houses talking to each other, and there was like the one house was like a George Costanza type guy, <laughs> and then the other house was just this Midwestern woman, and. Uh, that, you know, so most of the directing was in the voiceover booth, but the clients were not there. They were all on the phone. And so I just, I feel like that might be a weird way to be directed where you're just hearing all these voices and you don't see anyone and you don't even know who is giving I, you the direction. I, I have rarely over the last 12-ish years met anyone who's directed me uh, in person <laughs> in voiceover. You know, I, uh, yeah, so I did this video game last week and, uh, you know, I... I didn't meet any of them in person. We had a, a writer who was out of state. We had a director who was out of state. And I was at this uh, voiceover booth in Burbank. It was the most NDA paperwork I've ever had sure. to sign for anything. So much so that they didn't tell me what the game is. Mm. Uh, I know I'm a big voice in it. I know like the general creative, obviously, because mm-hmm. I was at a four-hour session for it. And I did two major characters in it. But that's how intense, the, particularly the video game world is sure, in voiceover, sure. is... Sometimes they don't even tell the actor what the, I didn't know what my character name was at the end of the session. It's, it's so intense that like you've got your is it Mario? Your, <laughs> <laughs> it's a me. Um, <laughs> no, you've got your lines in front of you, and usually I'll take my copy just to remember the job and, mm-hmm. and tell my agent, you know, what I recorded. Sure. And uh, this particular job, this is very common with video games. Is there? They say before you leave, we'll take that from you. Like uh-huh. you're not even allowed to take the lines that you read. Sure. Um, they have like a paper scanner you have to walk through. <laughs> it, it's it's like lockdown. It's yeah. crazy. So, anyways, yeah, I I think every voiceover job is is totally different from the next. But at least commercially, it taught me a little bit about about the ad world. Do you ever record from home? I actually record from home daily. Um, sure, I bet. So not necessarily for. Do you radio call? The the call, you know, the <laughs> I had this guy in my Airbnb that was. Uh, it's like every morning he'd be like. Uh, you're listening to K Rock ninety seven point three. Yeah, New Hampshire. You're listening to K Rock. Those are like yeah. a lot of promo guys, and I do a little bit of promo. I do. I'll do some like Nickelodeon promo, like coming up eight seven central only on Nick. I'll do stuff like that, but like the cool promo, I don't really get much of that. I yeah, get the yeah. like happy kid promo stuff. Uh, I don't do a ton of broadcast stuff from my booth at home. I converted mm-hmm. a closet into a recording sure. booth in my place. Uh, and it's all high-end equipment, and I, I engineer my stuff the best that I can in terms of auditions and callbacks. But for broadcast stuff, I don't totally trust my audio engineering mm-hmm. skills enough to... I've done some broadcast stuff from home, but usually you just go to a, a right. session. But I will say for auditions, uh, specifically for commercial and promo auditions, it's a daily thing. I mean, I'm usually in my booth for 30 minutes to an hour a day. Yeah, cool. Like your agent sends you sides every morning and then you just read them all? Yeah, either at night or in the morning. Usually it's split between commercial stuff, promo stuff, and animation. Um, so any given day, I could have a Taco Bell radio spot, a McDonald's TV commercial spot, 
and uh, you know a Nickelodeon promo and then uh, a video game and or an animated pilot. Um, and so it's a lot of different kinds of voiceover. Mm-hmm. I talk to a lot of people who are getting into voiceover and starting out. Sure, and sure. I think that one of the things that it it seems so like accessible and fun and and it is e- easy, but like it's n- I wouldn't say easy. I think it's, I, sorry, it's I want to make sure it's insanely competitive. It is insanely competitive. But it's people not think easy, it's not competitive. But that's what I'm saying. It's like yes. I think actors who are looking to break in or are trying to figure it out don't want to wait tables anymore, basically. Right. They're like, ah, I figured it out. This is the ticket. And, it, and, and it's that, the equivalent of directors. Like, I'm sure you, we've all met directors <laughs> that are like, yeah, I'm just going to do some commercials, you know, just to make <laughs> some money. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so I, a lot of the advice that I give actors who are getting into voiceover is uh, to understand the different kinds of voiceover. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are, oh, I just talk in front of a mic, and that's not the case at all. A promo read is entirely different from a commercial read, and even certain kinds of commercials. You know, if I'm doing a jewelry commercial, and I'm talking about this, I'm going to use this cadence of my voice. But if I'm doing a Taco Bell spot where I'm kind of just this like young millennial guy and I'm going to kind of talk like this. It's all my natural speaking Whatever, voice. mom. Whatever, mom. Like, hey, you know, <laughs> the new cheesy gordita crunch. Like, Do you have a news voice? Uh, uh, you know, it's funny. I do a lot of 1940s newscasters. <laughs> um, it's, I get cast as a lot of kids for animation, which we, sure. which we talked about. Uh, I, I do a lot of robot voices. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, it's, it's very fun. But I always advise people to sort of educate their, themselves on mic technique and mm-hmm. the different styles of voiceover. Because in addition to the technical side of voiceover, you also got to be a good actor. And so like to uh, brush up on your acting skills mm-hmm. um, uh, because it all comes into play. And it's like anything, even directing. It's a marathon. Mm-hmm. You know, it took me a year to book my first voiceover commercial back in the day. It took me a second year to book my second job. Mm-hmm. And it took me 10 years to book my first animated series. So, yeah. it's it, like anything, it's a marathon. Well, yeah. those people that do the animated stuff, like I did this, some animated stuff at Disney. And, and we had like the cast of the Rugrats come in. You know what I mean? It's like the best, most experienced people in the world. I'm good friends against. with Tommy Pickles. Yeah. <laughs> E.G. Daly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, those people are and like... Babe the Pig, actually. E.G. Yeah, Daly that's is, true. is that's like true. A, a big name. Right, I think uh, E.G. came in for us. Yeah, and really? you're like, how does this person... How does someone that's just starting out in voiceover compete with them? You yeah, know? sure. Yeah, uh, and you know, I've been at the same voiceover agency as E.G. She's a great example for years. And, you know, it just like anything, it's a marathon. You just got to keep chipping away at it. Mm-hmm. You got to keep getting casting directors familiar with your voice and your submissions and what makes you unique. My niche in animation has been I'm a adult male that can sound like not an adult male. Mm-hmm. And like that's something that particularly with kids networks, sure, you Super can leverage. Helpful. You know, yeah. in the same way on camera, right. The thing that makes me specific is that I'm a shorter guy. Right. So I initially leveraged a lot of like short guy roles. Sure. You know, at a certain point, you just invest in Christmas elf tights. <laughs> like, listen. But you sort of do the thing that can make you specific. And I think that's applicable to any avenue in the entertainment industry, even, right. even directing, which I've found as well. Um, so before we, we dump, jump into the directing, just because we'll probably have a few new listeners that are actors, are there any resources in terms of like educating yourself on uh, voiceover that you can direct people to before? Yeah, we, sure. Yeah? I mean, if, if you're... In Los Angeles, I would advise, or New York, actually, I would advise uh, taking a voiceover workshop 
Um, I don't know if you want me to list some of the places. Oh, you know what? Maybe you just send us uh, send yeah. us a couple of your favorites. We'll put those in the show yeah. notes. Basically. So what I would say is like take a workshop so to educate yourself on mic technique and the different styles of voiceover. And is it like, you know, I think a lot of people like are suspicious of like scams and stuff in LA. Like are there good workshops and yes, bad workshops? there are three that I can give you that are really reputable, reputable. And, and excellent. And then the next thing that I would do is once you feel sort of comfortable with that, is put together a 60-second commercial demo reel. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's tons of great demo reel services. There's a couple of great voiceover coaches I could refer you to Mm -hmm. that actually uh, audio engineer Mm -hmm. demos. And you don't focus on animation yet. That comes later. Don't even necessarily focus on promo yet. It's all about commercial uh, voiceover. That's going to be your way in Mm -hmm. to start, start understanding how the voiceover world works. And again, it's about finding three to five clips in that demo reel that allow you to use your natural speaking voice, but in different cadences and different qualities. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of like what I was saying before, the how I'm speaking right now versus how I'm speaking right now, it's all my my speaking voice, but uh, a Honey Nut Cheerios radio commercial is going to be entirely different than a Wells Fargo commercial. Right, right. Awesome. Well, so, so Ben... I'm curious because we've known each other for a long time. How do you guys know each other? Uh, it's a funny to... story, actually. Oh, is it a funny story? I just feel like we went to school together. Well, I think the first time I met you oh. was Broadcaster Briefs. Oh, that's true. Where that's true. I <laughs> that is a was deep dressed in a very funny outfit. <laughs> yeah. So you knew my wife. <laughs> yes. Back in college. I so I was aware of you. Yeah, and like you were in plays, so I was always aware of you. But yeah, uh, originally. I... <laughs> We cast you in a, a early internet video about uh, Hitler and Jesus being friends. Basically. It was a buddy comedy. Yeah. And I, mean, I played Jesus. Yeah. I'm the most Jewish looking guy in the world. It was it was funny. It was pretty funny. It was actually pretty funny. The, um, the company really, really wanted like controversial, like funny skits and so that's the one that they ended yeah. up going with so i met you uh with a uh jesus and hitler buddy comedy yeah second coming right it was called second coming <laughs> yeah yeah it's yeah. a sex comedy <laughs> yeah, it was, but it's good yeah, it was pretty funny um but yeah that's how that's how we know <laughs> okay so you went to usc i did yeah I went, and in fact i took uh acting courses with matt's wife and that and you majored in th- theater I did. It's funny. I, I initially went to Chapman University my freshman year of college and was a film production major. Oh. And it was my one year away from acting. And I feel like you sort of have to go away from what you want to do with your life to understand, oh, shit, that's really what I want to do. So I, uh, Chapman was not for me. It's an excellent film school. Transferred to USC, minored in film production, but really spent my time acting there, mm-hmm. majored in theater. And, uh, you know, I certainly pursued acting and became... Yeah, I was quite lucky. I started working in television. Yeah, I remember you right away. You started working quickly. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's funny because after I graduated, I immediately reconnected with all of the film production guys I went to Chapman with. Um, and I very early on, even when I, you know, ten years ago would introduce myself and say, "Oh, I'm only an actor. That's mm-hmm. all I am. I don't want anyone to think that I do anything else in entertainment but act." Um. I had this interest in cultivating uh, professional relationships mm-hmm. with people that weren't actors but were in entertainment, really talented crew people. And I started to slowly realize that uh, the th- path you want in this town is not mutually exclusive from another path. 
So I could be a director and a writer and a producer, and that did not negate any of my acting career. In fact, they all, at this point, immensely complement each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't realize that at first, and so I was reticent to tell anybody that I did anything other than acting. And for a long time, five, six years, all I would do is, is act, and I was working fairly consistently in television until I just started to diversify, I think, my, my mm-hmm. entertainment interests. I feel like it used to be like a thing where the people would tell you to focus on what you want to do and try to do it as Ben's much as possible. Ben's got enough hustle for all three. <laughs> no, but, but I but, think nowadays yeah, no. when you see, I mean, na- nowadays it's just insane. Even like yeah. 10 years ago where like a, a Shane Carruth or someone is like doing everything right. themselves, you're like, oh, I guess you could do a good job of, of more than one thing. And today with like like the YouTubers and stuff, it's like you're like, oh, everyone is doing everything and the more you know the better it just seems like a total shift in mindset and we graduated well let's see i graduated in 07 so it was like right as youtube was starting to take Mm -hmm. off and uh true to form i put a web series together with my buddies and we shot it for a month and it was like the first thing i was in it too and it was Mm -hmm. like the first thing i tried to produce i didn't even direct that i just tried to like put a bunch of creative people together and put something on camera it was still though uh clearly your voice yes i think that's the other thing that's interesting to point out is that i think you're consistent between your comedic style your acting style and your directing style there's there's something that makes sense to it right there's like a a poppiness to it a brightness to it like an energy to it that i think uh it makes sense that the the work complements each other. I appreciate you know? that. And I think that's what we all sort of as directors have to do because it allows brands and clients to understand what they're hiring. Um, right. You know, I mean, this is sort of fast forwarding, but one of the things that is both a positive and a negative for me as a director right now is I've had a lot of a viral success. And so a lot of clients and ad agencies will look at me as the quote-unquote internet guy, mm-hmm. which can be great because uh, that can lead to some really creative, interesting spots. Uh, but it can also be a disadvantage when they're like, well, he's not uh, you know, the guy that can do the, the $2 million television campaign. He's the guy that we're going to give the $50,000 sure. budget right. to and, and try to go make some Snapchat stuff. And it'll be great. Um, yeah, let, let's actually give people a little bit more context, right? Because I think in between... You know, building your voiceover career, building your acting career, working consistently. You were doing a lot of different sketches online, but yeah. the one that really broke out, right, is one that came out about two years ago called Back to the 90s, right? That was kind of your big hit. Yeah. like Everything I, else did well, mm-hmm. but what what is the view count at Back to the 90s right now? Uh, approximately. It's approximately 95 million views. Uh, on YouTube? On, uh, on Facebook, actually. Um, I have found an audience more with virality on Facebook. It's funny, we just put our sequel to Back to the 90s out, Back to the 80s this week. Uh, we're closing in on 3 million views for it, and it's been more of a slow and steady viral, um, but almost uh, just as organic. You know, it's, it's all people sharing it and not a ton of... Uh, this one doesn't have a ton of celebrity fanfare, but I'll sort of backtrack. Um, for a long time, I was making stuff that I felt like I should be making. I was in-house at like an MCN for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I was creating stuff that I, I thought... Which MCN? 
is it cool to say? Sure. Yeah. 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 I, I was I was at the collective for a while, which is now Studio Seventy One. Mm-hmm. Have a lot of great friendships over there. Still. I didn't realize you were in house over there. Yeah. So I oh. ran the Fred Channel back in the day. Oh, uh, which sure. At, which ended the Nickelodeon in the, guy too. Yeah. And in the early days of YouTube, that was one of the top ten YouTube channels. Mm-hmm. And then. Previous to that, I ran the Fail Blog channel and the FML channel, and I was kind of consistently um, coming in as a, a content creator kind of guy and, and taking over these large YouTube channels and trying to brand them and bring content to them. Uh, and some of them were more successful than others, um, but it taught me a lot about certainly creating stuff on a budget. Right. And I mean, you're almost like on the business side of things yes, here, too. Totally. I guess- Sorry, can we back up just one minute, which is like, when I think of an actor turned director, it's either like a Mark Wahlberg or someone, I mean, I guess he doesn't direct or like Olivia Wilde or someone where they, they've acted in a ton of these amazing movies and gotten these excellent roles, but they just want to, they want to rebrand themselves and, and they've got find their story voice. they've got to tell right. or yeah. not the story they got to tell. Like Mark Wahlberg says, he's like, no one would ever like, they'd only give me, offer me a, a great role after Brad Pitt and after Matt Damon and after all these sure. other guys. Like I, so I had to make my own stuff. And I think Seth Rogen and those guys said the same thing. So there's that version. And then there's the version where it's like, you're just waiting for auditions and nothing's <laughs> happening. And you realize like the only way you're going to get ahead is if you make your own stuff, but like just glancing at your IMDb, record and hearing about all the stuff at the collective and that you're making running Fred's channel and doing the business side and doing the production side doing voiceover and doing acting like it sounds like you were very steadily employed like why why not double down on the acting as opposed to like moving into the directing uh well I think look first and foremost I'm always an actor that's my my heart and soul um I think as the industry started to change, and particularly as a, a sort of a character actor, a lot of those roles are going to diversity now. I, you know, I'm a Caucasian guy, and I wasn't getting as many roles, and I actually agree with that. I think we need mm-hmm. diversity in those roles, and, and this sort of uptick of uh, a more diversity in roles that have historically not gone that way is a very positive thing for the industry. One of the byproducts of that, though, is that guys that look like me weren't auditioning as much. And so that actually was a huge ad- advantage to me in, uh, in pursuing additional paths in mm-hmm. entertainment. So as acting things would sort of slow down a, a month or two at a time, then I would start to um, work on some producing stuff. You know, it's funny, you, th- you said actor turned director. I think I had a slightly different path, which is actor turned producer turned director oh interesting and i think that i had to sort of educate myself on how stuff is made before i could recognize that director was really the role that i wanted to settle into i was reticent to do it at first because a lot of the stuff that i was making i i was also in as an actor it was a a great way to sort Mm -hmm. of create roles for myself um and I was reticent to direct something I was in for a very long time, thinking that people would think it was egocentric and masturbatory. And I was, right. you know... Brafish, we call it. Yeah, exactly. And ultimately, I think the key to being in something that you're directing, which I have since very much embraced, is surrounding yourself with a team that you trust immensely mm-hmm. and not running your set like a dictator. 
having such talent around you that people can look at you and go like, hey man, like you didn't get that one. You need it again. And trust implicitly mm-hmm. so much that you don't have to look at playback. And are you, you're working with the same team whether you're in front of the camera or not, right? So yes. they're learning what you like. Right? It becomes this sort of hive mind situation. Right? Yeah, I think, uh, and look, I'm sure we all do this as directors. We get our favorite DPs and our favorite production designers and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, as it's grown over the years, I remember I was a guy running around with uh, one guy and a 5D camera and two lights Mm -hmm. and our Back to the 80s shoot had over 200 people on it uh, a couple of months ago with confetti cannons and a jib. And, you know, it's cool to watch that incrementally go. You don't go from a 5D and two lights to a jib and confetti cannons and 200 people. There's a lot of steps in between where it's like, okay, maybe that second shoot uh, maybe we'll layer in like a gaffer and a grip. Okay, well, I liked that. What if we like had a, a lead man and a prop master for our production designer on the next shoot? And so you start layering in more and more pieces, more and more equipment, uh, better people as you continue to curate. More experienced the, people, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, people that, yeah, more experienced and, and people that you jive with. You sure. know, I, I would say my... My one r- a rule on a set is like it's a no asshole policy. Sure. If you're a jerk, we're never going to work together. If you're not, we're going to work together all the time. Right. And so I think the thing that I'm proudest of of our production team is it's it's a wonderful group of talented people, but it's also just a group of wonderful people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we eagerly look forward to being on set together. Um, and I think that we're able to accomplish things now because we've been on set together for years and we're able to have a shorthand with each other and an efficiency that's not possible if you just start out. And so that sure. only comes with continually chipping away at it. So to circle it back, after I was doing a lot of stuff that I felt like I, I should be doing, making kind of crap internet stuff that I, didn't actually, I wasn't actually passionate about, I said, okay, well, what am I actually passionate about? What do I want to make? How do I replace the word should with want? And I always wanted to make hip-hop comedy music videos. It's so weird and random. <laughs> And I teamed up with a hip-hop artist, and we put a music video out. Uh, my buddy Jensen Reed, who's an incredible songwriter, uh, and we put a music video out called Little Dude Anthem in 2015, which is basically me rapping as a Christmas elf and a leprechaun. Uh, and it's my ode to being a short man in like the most Busta Rhymes braggadocious way possible. And, uh, and it got a million views. And we said, hey, what was originally supposed to be a one-off project... And you paid for it yourself. Yeah, totally paid for it. That was like the 5D2 light setup. Type that of one was not, actually. That one was the first one we were like, what if we got anamorphic lenses? Yeah. Um, oh, and, and also, it's been a while since I've seen that one, but at least with Back to the 80s and 90s, there's a ton of setups. It's a lot of like cutting to like multiple sets and multiple yes. ideas. Like each shot is a joke with a brand new set. I guess Little Dude Anthem isn't quite that elaborate, but like, there's a lot of care and time put into these videos in a way that's easy to maybe underestimate when you hear like a YouTube viral video. That was sort of the genesis of Back to the 90s is, is, is creating stuff that is meant to be consumed online quickly, mm-hmm. quick visuals. People don't have attention spans online. So, so literally designing some of these videos around people's short attention spans. And so after the success of this this viral video we had, we said, well, what's, what's one thing that resonates for the both of us that we could do a, a second thing on? 
And we started working on uh, this nostalgic video called Back to the 90s because we both were sort of wistful for our, our upbringing in the 90s. And we worked on it for two years, and it's got a million setups in it. And, uh, and, and you, you're financing this yourself again. Again, all ourselves. You know, I would go work an animation job mm-hmm. or an acting job, and I would pour all that money into making cool shit with my friends. Are you okay with saying how much you spent on Back to the 90s? Sure. That one, God, let me think about it. I think when all was said and done... It's probably like 35000 Yeah. Um, and this is with like everyone working for free. With literally like, yeah, most people working for free. That $35,000 is on talk boys and parachute pants, basically. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's all Jenkos. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, but I think the goal of our team is always like, if we're going to self-finance something, let's make it look like it costs $10 million. Wait, who's your, who is our team? What is, who, who does this consist of? So I formed a production company called Small Red Cape. You know, right now, when I say our, our team, I truly feel like that encompasses those 200 people that just helped me make my latest music video. I mean, when I say we, I, I want it to feel like a collective. So it's all my buddies who helped me produce, specifically our head of I production. I think of it more as a Studio 71. Yeah, so, sure. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, but my buddy Scott Thomas Reynolds helped me produce everything. He's our head of production. My buddy Arnie Pantoja, who's uh, my writing partner, and we've got a gazillion scripted and unscripted things we're pitching right now and a couple shows we've optioned um but i also feel like that when i say we it's inclusive of our dp our production designer our wardrobe uh people our hair and makeup people because i I truly want people to feel like they're part of a family and that's the you know if 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 you're doing these are all people that are working with other people also right? 100 percent. you're not full-time correct your team correct correct uh, lately, it feels like that, which is good. We've had a lot of activity lately. But, you know, the, the most fun about being a filmmaker is getting to do it with your friends. And like, I mean, for me, it, like uh, one of my favorite quotes is filmmaking is the ultimate team sport. Um, I can't be a good director or a good actor or even a good writer if I can't surround myself with people who are excellent at their positions. Um, and so there's this beautiful harmony of when we get on a set of watching everybody excel at what they do. And I appreciate it so much. You know, I, I love watching our DP talk about lenses. I'm not a very technical director, so I sort of defer to the technical stuff to mm-hmm. people that are much smarter than me. I'd like to consider myself a pretty creative director. I'm an actor, right? So like I love working with actors. I love making creative choices, thinking about beats and pacing mm-hmm. and and framing a shot in the funniest way um but in what terms about editing i actually cut a lot of our our passion projects i love editing and um i think i'm actually decent at it because i've went to film school and you do a little bit of vfx as well right not really oh, okay. i've got a couple of vfx guys i, I work gotcha, with okay. that i i love farming stuff out to i mean a little here and there but it, I, that is definitely not one gotcha, of my okay. not one of my strong suits but yeah and it's just sort of zooming out from it i think um it's it's so cool to watch people excel at the thing that they're experts in and mm-hmm. get to participate in that uh, and get to set them up for success. Uh, that's one of the things that I love about being on set with my team. So we had this this music video come out and it got uh, almost 100 million views and we charted at number 11 on sure. Billboard. Yeah, and, I want to know ooh, how wow. did that change your life, right? Because I think yes. that everyone thinks about like, ah, oh, what if we did some cool videos for the internet? Maybe something will get a little traction yours is I, you know, we've both been in around the digital space for a long time yeah. i don't know anybody with 100 million v- views on one video yeah like literally like yeah 
I know one person. <laughs> <laughs> Liam Sullivan. Oh, yeah, I know Liam. Oh, you sure. I, I know Liam. Yeah, the shoes one, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To come back to it, it's a, it's a lot of fucking views, right? And so what does that mean for you professionally? I would say it changed my life in ways that were unexpected. Mm-hmm. You know, I anticipated, oh my God, we did it. Like we actually <laughs> did something that the entire fucking world saw. Yeah, right. sure. And uh, I thought we were going to have brands pouring money into our pockets to what make year was this? the next thing. This is two years ago. It's 2017. Oh. And so, so at a time where brands are investing. Yeah, in yeah. So like I this. thought it was going to lead to a lot of of brands coming directly to me and Jensen, uh, my hip hop partner on these. And, and you already saying, had the production company set up. Right? Already had my company. Already had like some shows that I was developing with my writing partner. So it came at a really good time where I felt like I had stuff to sell. And it was impossible to get people wanting to get involved. Everybody was like, well, could you do it again? Did you get like um, traditional Hollywood reps contacting you, like agents yes. and managers? I changed my representation around that time. And, but ultimately, I think the thing that it did unexpectedly mm-hmm. was it launched my professional directing career. I had been directing things, you know, for YouTube channels sure. and whatnot. And so I, I, and I had been directing my own stuff. So I felt capable as a director. I directed back to the 90s. That got oh, all you were attention. getting paid at like the collective yes. to direct stuff. Yeah. But I felt that there was something, uh, I don't know, if you're producing and directing and doing all these roles with no money mm-hmm. at You feel like MCN, a producer, not feel, a director. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You right. feel more yeah. as a producer. And a party, when someone asks you what you do, you're like, I'm an actor, I produce, and sometimes yeah. I direct. It felt like a murky answer. And so the number one thing that I think for me personally that Back to the 90s did was it established me as a real director that you could hire to direct your commercial. But also you did have that back catalog of other relatively viral sketches that you could be like, hey, this is that look, this is this one. You know, like it wasn't like you had one video. Right. I mean, I still had one hit video and plenty of other totally like respectable videos. There were still millions of views on the other stuff collectively, yeah. but there was nothing that had become, you know, it, it was, it felt like a phenomenon. It was crazy. It was like, we had people reaching out to us from all over the world. Yeah, it's the one, it's like on the news and yeah. like, you know. Yeah. It yeah was people nuts. from San Francisco, Orange County, Fresno. <laughs> yeah. Oxnard. It was yeah. crazy. Uh, Downey. A little Bakersfield. <laughs> no Torrance love though. That's <laughs> That's a shame. Yeah. Um, well, I want to pivot for a second about, I guess, because we're really focusing on on actors that turned into directors. Sure. Like you, I mean, just again, looking at your IMDb page, it seems like you were like on over like 100 episodes of TV shows. Uh, and so when you're a director, you're not just coming into this like someone that just graduated film school in right. North Carolina and moved to LA. Like you'd been on sets that have had hundreds of people on them and you've seen gaffers work and grips work and boom operators and makeup artists like how how much did that inform you as a director and how much did you learn from that i feel like as soon as i really started to embrace that i am also a director 50 percent of my career is acting 50 percent of my career is directing it's not totally true because it breaks into other things but i really started to to lean in on the directing side of things and started directing commercials and uh, directing a tv pilot tomorrow um and i felt that as soon as i started um, focusing on directing in uh, a bigger way in my life, it made me a better actor. 
you know, I'll use this as an example. I was doing a, a network sitcom as an actor a couple weeks ago, and I'm wearing this silly outfit, and I'm grateful to have the job. Can you tell us which job. one? You feel um, free to name drop as much as you want. I guess show. I can say this. Oh, is it not out yet? It's right. not out yet, but I'm. it's public that I was... I, I, it's Will and Grace. Oh, um, that's awesome. So Will and who? <laughs> so I did an episode that's of Will like, and Grace. We do that joke basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the more famous a show the is, more the more we are. Right, right. Uh, Sorry. So <laughs> great opportunity. You, you're on Will and Grace. Uh, yeah. Got an episode coming out, which is awesome. Super happy to be there. And I, I'm sitting there. And, and this is a multicam, right? Multicam, yeah. And you've done a ton of multicam. Tons of multicam, uh, which I love because it's basically theater uh, on camera. And I'm sitting there and I found myself during the live taping, you know, they got a studio audience still. It's one of the few shows that does mm-hmm. a studio audience still, which is such a, a joy. And I found myself watching and studying the script supervisor who's at her podium and just crushing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, so quick with her coverage on that page and making notes and watching monitor and so laser focused. And she was... You could just tell in a minute of watching her work how exceptionally gifted she was at her job and how long she'd been doing it with mm-hmm. the same team. And I don't. And that's something you wouldn't have noticed. I, exactly. 10 years ago, when I was, you know, doing an episode of TV, I would not have studied the other department. A person taking notes in the corner. Yeah. Effectively. Or appreciated. Yeah, sure. You know, because yeah. I know now when I'm hiring a script supervisor, when I'm directing, what I like, what I don't yeah, like, sure. um, the amount of involvement I, I, I want. You know, it was, it's just cool to be able to appreciate the different departments now when I am hired as an actor. And I think it's, it's a double-edged sword, right? Like, I, I can't take off my director-producer hat when I'm hired as an actor now. I get hired right. on a show and I'm like, well, that's a weird way to schedule it. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. Are you like, don't you want that, me to be a little more, more backlit? Yeah, or, or like, I wouldn't have made that a cowboy medium. I'd tighten that shot sure. up a little bit. So I feel like in some ways that's a bad thing because you want to just be able to focus on your acting yeah. work. And in some ways it's a great thing because it allows you to understand the whole scope of the project that you're working on and help departments in little tiny ways um if i have an idea of how to frame shots in a multicam show then i can position myself as an actor to kind of help out the b camera op knowing Mm -hmm. that if i cheat out a little bit more it's going to make his life a lot easier and boy do they love that right like most of the time actors are like if you if you'd said like you sure you want that to be a cowboy people would be like Go sit down, Ben. We don't want to talk right, to you. Right. But like when you're making their lives easier, when you're making them easier versus second guessing them, it's a totally different ball. Well, game. and I think it's important. What I mean by that is I think it's important not necessarily to vocalize those of course, things. Of course. And I wasn't implying that. But right. Yes, yes. But if I'm on set and I know what what they're trying to get because I have a fuller understanding of what it means to be on sure. a set. Because you know where I'm to direct? put your hands. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that there, there is an ease and a comfort that comes with acting now because I have a, a better, a richer understanding mm-hmm. of every department on a set because I'm a director. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I remember 10 years ago, I'd be stressed about, oh, I got to remember my lines and I'm just thinking about all this actor stuff and I'm in my head. And there is a, there's just an ease to it now because, and I think that also comes from making my own stuff, mm-hmm. knowing that if my acting career were to evaporate tomorrow and I wasn't able to get any uh, prof- quote unquote professional opportunities on shows, that's okay because I feel like I'll do this. I'll give you my cake analogy. I always give people this cake analogy. When I first moved to town, 
uh, I looked at my career like a cake, and you've got that big, thick, chocolatey part, and you've got this thin layer of icing on top. When I first moved to town, it was the guest stars and the recurring role auditions and all the things that were coming from my agent that I thought was my career, that big, thick, chocolate part of the cake. And then the thin layer of icing was all the stuff that I was running around with my friends making and putting on YouTube and throwing it up. And it felt like a, like a hobby almost. Mm -hmm. And I think the big epiphany that I had was completely flipping that. So the big meaty part of my career now, the thing that I feel like I'm in charge of my own volition and momentum is the stuff I'm making mm -hmm. with my friends. It has become much larger in scope. It's, we've been able to cultivate an audience of tens of millions of people globally, and it's been awesome. And it's no longer a hobby. That's my career. And the icing on the cake is the Will and Grace episodes that come along mm -hmm. once in a while. But if you were to take that away, you still got a delicious cake. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But to, to get that icing, you're still auditioning pretty regularly. Yes, absolutely. I would say I think the beauty of starting to diversify your entertainment interests is inevitably one category of thing that you do starts to have a lull, an ebb, uh, and, and then one category at the same time starts to present opportunities. And so if you are just an actor, like I know a lot of people uh, who are friends, who, who are dear friends, who are just actors, and, and they're waiting for that phone to ring from their agent. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it does give you some periods of waiting. And that's an immensely frustrating thing for mm -hmm. me. And so I would much rather fill those times of like waiting for the next acting gig to come along with directing something, getting on set, making a pilot presentation, making a viral music video, whatever it is. Because I ultimately feel that if you can constantly create, if you can be proactive in making cool shit, it's always going to open up momentum in the mm -hmm. other categories of your career. Like, I feel like I get acting opportunities because I create viral music videos. Sure. I, I get acting opportunities because I'm able to direct a commercial set. Um, and I think, you know, you guys get directing opportunities because you host a podcast. So I think it's like the more stuff that we proactively do, that's the number one thing. Like, if somebody comes to town, they're like, hey, man, can I like buy you a coffee and sit down and do the pick your brain thing. Sure. And I sit down and the, the number one thing that I advise listen is, to just shoot it is just listen to just shoot it. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and, and then also, and also, and also respect the process. <laughs> also respect the process with Jordan Brady and take his commercial directing boot camp. Uh, you're welcome, Jordan. And, uh, and then after all of that, be proactive and make your own stuff because nothing bad in my career or my life has ever come from making something cool with my friends. Yeah. And um, I think I want to echo about that uh, is just that you, not only did you decide to be proactive, but like you thought about like, what are the things that A, you love to do, but B, you'd be great at, yeah. right? And so I think that thing, you know, you, you coined it so perfectly, replacing uh, should with want, mm -hmm. right? But I think that the thing that you want to make sure you're doing on top of that is just like, finding what your core competency is right not everyone can make a funny hip-hop music video right and so you hit it out of the park but i think that sometimes actors can hear oh i need to be proactive and and maybe they like the thing that they're writing or, or aiming for but it isn't actually what they're special at you know well and i think that comes around to uh, surrounding yourself with people who are experts in the things that you suck at Mm -hmm. um, I, for, here's a great example. I love writing. And so my, but I, I can't write stuff on my own. 
So I needed somebody, I needed a writing partner that complemented my shortcomings uh, as a writer. Uh, and I'm so lucky to have found that in my writing partner because we're sort of yin and yang as we work together and collectively we're able to create something that we both feel is great. But I can't do that alone. Um, you know, I talk to plenty of actors who are like, God, yeah, you're right. I need to be proactive and I need to make my own thing. But like, I don't really like writing. I'm not good at it. So go find a writer. Right. Go get a writer to write you something that you can be passionate about, that you can direct or you can produce or you can just act in. If you're an actor and you just want to act in your own thing, go find yourself a great DP uh, who's, got, uh, who's got some camera relationships and maybe owns their own camera. Like there are ways to put production, like passion project production together that doesn't have to, you know, break your bank. Um, you know, we had Sam Zwiebelman on. Do you know him also from USC? Pen15, Sam. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So he, I mean, the way he told us that they made that show is he just like found two actors, actresses he like loved yeah. and he teamed up with them and they made this like really amazing show together. But it's not like he came and pitched them the show or they came and pitched it to him. They just were like, hey, yeah. we like each other. We're impressed by each other. Let's come up with something together. And it seems like, like would have been very hard for any one of them to do it on their own. I want to surround myself with people that are better than me at everything. Um, you know, and like I said, it's, it's especially lo- better people, better people. Yeah. yeah Cause like I'm their, a shit. Their goodness <laughs> is what's important. <laughs> I, I want to just ask one last question about, again, your acting. Obviously when you make a viral video that gets 95 million views, that's its own thing. But you were also, you know, know all these showrunners and all these directors and all these famous actors from working with them. Does, can you leverage any of those relationships? Can you cast, um, you know, yeah, I mean, like, well, here's a good example. We put Someone... a we put a cold open uh, shoot together a year and a half ago uh, for our pilot that we wrote uh, in hopes of that helping us sell it. And we stacked the cast with a bunch of celebrity cameos, personal friends that were so gracious. And when you kind say to cold open, you mean just like the opening of the pilot, and you wanted to film and Correct. show that to people as you're pitching your project. We thought the first like four-ish pages of our pilot was an effective way to sell it. And we shot it all as a oneer, um, And it was a lot of fun. Can we ask who you got to be in it? You certainly we're able to leverage things that way. I, I hate the idea that, you know, just because you know powerful people who are ahead of you, you have to, quote unquote, leverage them. I think the way... Not that, leveraging them, but if you have a pilot sure. idea for Nickelodeon and you've done 20 shows for <laughs> Nickelodeon, it seems like you... There's a person that trusts you. A hundred percent. And I think what th- those relationships have helped with is it, it's allowed us to uh, generate opportunities for ourselves for pitching shows, let's say, that don't require representation. Um, you know, we were, we've got plenty of pitch meetings over the last six months for our projects that have been generated on our own relationships. Showrunners that we know personally that we've worked with as actors, uh, actor attachments, people that we've worked with on set that are interested in our projects, uh, even networks, like you said, like I've done a ton of stuff with Nickelodeon. We know everybody over there. And so it's cool to kind of cultivate those relationships, but in a low pressure way. Like I, I feel like if I can just show people I'm doing great stuff, that's going to be the biggest way to convince them that they should work with me. And that's true whether you've got super mega agents or not. Yes, 100%. You know, like that's just how the business works. I think regardless of who your representation is or if you have representation, the biggest advocate for your career is going to be yourself. The best opportunities that have come in my career in this town 
have come from me making stuff and proactively getting together with my friends and saying like, okay, let's do this or let's hustle this meeting or let's create this project and try to, you know, it's, it's a daily hustle. I also think like from a, from a writing perspective, my writing partner and I uh, a couple of years ago said, let's not just be those two actors that have one vehicle for ourselves that we wrote. Let's divorce our actor egos from our writing partnership and create a cheesecake factory menu of content uh, that we can pitch, some of which we're in, some of which we're not. But let's view ourselves not as actors, but as a talented writing duo that happens to be actors that could act in the projects, but it's not a requirement. And I think when we started to view our professional writing partnership as exactly that, we realized we couldn't just get together every other weekend and write. We had to meet every day. And so for the past like three years, my writing partner and I, Monday through Friday, meet. And what time? Uh, it always depends because we're also actors. And so like an audition comes up, one of us is on set, but by and large, we'll work for at least a couple hours, five days a week. And that's been pretty much the case for the last three years. And it's allowed us to develop 18 shows together. We love working uh, around like other coffee people. Shops, yeah, yeah, coffee shops and stuff. Now, ultimately, I would love to uh, have a, a full-time production office that we'd be able to, to, to work from. Okay. The worst is when like I have a cup of coffee and then I'm going and I want right. to go work at a coffee shop right afterwards. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's that. Yeah. You got to time your coffees throughout the day. But the, the, the overall point I'm trying to make is that when we viewed our partnership as a job before we actually had the job, it, it immensely opened up opportunities for ourselves. You know, if we can look at it like, hey, this is, this is our job. We might not be getting paid for it right mm-hmm. now, but we will. And, and case in point, we've optioned a handful of shows and we, you know, we're show running a pilot tomorrow on set. We have an 8 a.m. call time. Um, so that's with your writing partner correct yeah uh and so that's exciting and i feel like those opportunities would not be coming our way if we occasionally met right right if you didn't treat it like a job 100 percent. yeah yeah that is something that i feel like we should ask on every episode and we don't we almost never talk about it but it's like how do you schedule your day your week as a creative person so i'm really happy you brought that up um well cool Ben, this was awesome. Thank you so Um, much for having me. Yeah, man. Will you stick around and uh, endorse with us? Yeah. Unpaid endorsements. So this is maybe a a re-endorsement. It's been a while. Do you guys ever watch the Corridor Digital videos? No. I mean, yeah. Of course. Yeah, of course. I know. <laughs> what is, I don't know what that is. So they're like a, a kind of an old school YouTube channel, like in the Freddy W world. It's oh, like, yeah, yeah, sure. It's like fun action videos and that sort of stuff. Um, but recently they've kind of like tripled down on like their YouTube presence. They're doing like a ton of like stuntmen react videos, VFX react videos. They set a dude on fire just the other day. And like uh, it's all been really enjoyable it's like my favorite way to procrastinate Mm. in the morning now is to like watch a 10 minute video where they break down like you know different aspects of vfx and it's been uh, a real treat so like for Oren, it's like child's play but for me i was just it's not child's i mean i've just been watching their videos for like 10 years sure sure but would you say would you agree that they've gotten better in the last three months they've had i think they have had the realization that the how they do what they do is 
potentially more interesting to people than mm. what they do. Or at least to us, right? Yeah. Well, but to their audience, you know, yeah. like they can spend years making like, because they made a, the Battlefield movie. They've done mm -hmm. all this stuff, you know, that they killed themselves over. And that I think they realize like what people are constantly asking them is like, hey, show us like how you did right, it, right. you know? Yeah. I mean, they, they did watch a, a stuntman react video this morning, maybe. And that had 3 million views. Wow. And it's just like dudes watching tv it's stuntmen watching other people do stunts i mean i would watch that that yeah. sounds fun and like I, I giving notes on it. they react and they're like oh well how did he not you know break his legs doing that and then they show like where the hidden wire is or like you know they watch it in slow motion and show like oh that's how you I'm broke a his sucker fall. for react videos it's pretty great it's got i gotta say um and then like i said they they set one of the guys on fire <laughs> as you do and uh it was awesome but they really broke down like how like cooling gel works and like all of the different layers and all of that stuff. So it was really, um, it feels slightly educational and totally enjoyable. We almost time. did a fire burn in this project that we're working oh, really? on and just going down the rabbit hole of the liability and the oh my amount God. of stuff. I don't know if you've done one before, no, but, but from an insurance perspective, oh, it's gotta be insane. It's yeah. so expensive and you need so much extra stuff that inevitably it's like, okay, we'll rewrite. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, we're yeah, gonna write yeah, something yeah. else. Yeah. There's a lot of different specific disciplines with stunts, and it's um, yeah, it's really great. Anyway, so that's my recommendation. <laughs> Do you guys know about TripIt, the app? Oh yes. In fact, I went I went across Europe using it, and it was hugely helpful. Orin and I both went on a, a trip across Italy, and he tells me now. Well, we're it's, back. it's got all your like flight info in it, all of your like bookings. It's very helpful. Would have been so handy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, it's not, I guess, like, once we're there, it's, I mean, it would have been more helpful if we had, like, more kind of things scheduled. But what's cool is if you're going with a group of people, like, anytime you get an email, yeah, here's a ticket, here's this, here, you just forward it to this email address, and it adds it to your TripIt itinerary. Ah. And so you have an app that has all your train tickets, cool. all your plane tickets, yeah. all your show tickets, everything. And it's a really easy way to, to travel. Um, or just helps you. It's one place with everything. And the other thing that I learned from you is Splitwise. Splitwise. Ooh, what's that? Oh man, it's it is the best. It's great for like big group trips or like I learned about it at a bachelor party. It's an app that basically just lets you log all of the different expenses that a group incurs. Right, like oh, I'm going to cover dinner tonight, and then it like lets you split up like how many people are in the party or like yes. you know who had wine, yeah, all of that awesome. stuff. It's pretty great. Yeah. Also an app uh, on brand, Shotlister. Have you used it? <laughs> ben. Is, have I struck a nerve? <laughs> no, no. I mean, you yeah, yes, but yes. A good, you tickled us. <laughs> yeah, you tickled um, a nerve. I think, I should double check. I think that they're the sponsor of this episode. No, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah oh, I, I literally can't do a shoot without that app. I uh, think you were the first person that told me about it, actually. Oh, I think I probably was. I oh, love it. And, I and it the thing right that I love the most is the Apple Watch integration. So I, like when I'm directing, I have my Apple Watch on me, and I can check off shots on my watch without even having to open my phone or anything. I feel like Zach didn't even tell us about that. Uh, that's true. He did not. Ben, uh, this is the first episode. We'll still have a pre-roll on this episode, but we won't have a mid-roll integration. Oh, my we, God. That's we've, amazing. We've had Shotlister, our sponsor, for I like two months straight. <laughs> love Shotlister. Please tell them I'm a huge fan. Uh, and I literally, like, I'm... And uh, listeners right now, if you want a free copy of Shotlister for either macOS or 
Uh, any, iOS, any platform. Any, any platform. platform. Yeah. Android. I, think, I don't. Do they have macOS? I, I use it on my iPad. Yeah, they definitely do. If you want yeah. a free they copy, do. you just email justshootitpod at shotlister.com. Oh. Tell them what, and it's like, I think it's like $40 something. the Mac yeah. OS Oh, one. sweet. I absolutely You can put, will. like, drag storyboards in there and all yep. sorts of things. I mean, I have been using the app for years, and I love it. Well, cool. Well, if we want to find out more about your production company, you, everything that you're doing, what do we do? Yeah. Um, I'd say the social media I'm most active on is Instagram. So just follow me on Instagram, B-E-N-G-I-R-O-U-X, Ben Giroux. Uh, and my production company, Small Red Cape. Uh, we got a website, shows all our stuff. Um and, you know, full service boutique production company. We do kind of everything. And you also direct for Super Lounge. That's correct. Yeah, I'm on the, the roster at Super Lounge, Jordan Brady's company. I know he's been uh, on your podcast and he's a huge supporter. Uh, and he's been a phenomenal mentor to me over the years. He's, he's really the one that, it's funny, I came to, I'll say this very briefly, but when I came to Jordan and I was like, hey man, I'm having some kind of like viral success. And like, I, I wonder how I can leverage this into a more professional directing career. And I had emailed him. And his, his response to me was, well, the first fucking thing I would say is call yourself a director in your email footer. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, that's... But uh, was this before you... This was like a cold email or you knew him? Oh, no. George, so Jordan and I met years ago. Uh, I was an actor in one of his commercials. <laughs> it was uh, a series of Build-A-Bear workshop spots <laughs> where I was playing a Christmas elf. Uh, and we became fast friends. Uh, and I, I think uh, he and I share a very similar sense of humor and have really appreciated each other's work over the years. And so when I was looking to kind of expand my directing career, it was his production company that kind of took me on. And, and I give him a ton of credit because he's really kind of shown me initially showed me the ropes of the of a lot of little things that you wouldn't initially think about in the commercial production world cool awesome well ben thanks so much you can learn about all the stuff that we talked about on our show notes at justshootitpod.com uh follow us across all social media at justshootitpod i'm at mr matt Enlow. and i'm on instagram at okaplin this episode was edited by jonathan luna produced by madeline rosewatt and our webmaster is ewan williams the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazard, and we will catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.